Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161DD197, The Press, From the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 307, February 8, 1994. This evening... Mark Rushduni, Otto Scott, Douglas Murray, and I will be discussing in this first hour the press. Now, I've done a great deal of thinking this past week about the subject. I think I've done, uh, in my time, a great deal of complaining about the media. However, I've tried to think objectively, historically, and constitutionally on the subject. Freedom of the press means not that I have the right to expect the media to be what I want it to be, much as I would like that, but that anyone has the right to publish what they want however partisan it may be. Now, we can and probably will later on deal with the fact that uh, the newspapers of this country are not always as fair or objective as they could be. However, the basic fact of the freedom of the press means not that I have a right to demand that the press represent my perspective, but that everyone has access to the people by publishing their perspective and viewing the news in terms of conservative, liberal, or radical ideologies. Given that fact, we would have to say we have a freedom of the press here. In fact, I am regularly told by people from all over the world in talking to me that they wish they had the guarantees constitutionally that we have and that they envy us for the freedom of press and the freedom of religion we have. I do believe that we must begin with that positive note. We do have a situation with regard to the press that uh, is a good one. I think a great many major conservative groups have never considered buying up uh, one or another network or creating their own uh, news service and therefore, a good deal of their complaining, I think, is unwarranted. Now, given that fact, we have to say that uh, we should be entitled, whoever is publishing their perspective, that they be honest and fair-minded about it. 
Our courts have created more problems there with regard to the press than uh, have the media. In that, they have made libel and slander very, very difficult uh, for anyone to uh, gain a victory in a suit. The courts have uh, so uh, limited liabilities here that uh, it has created a certain amount of license. So, given that fact, we do face some serious problems with regard to our media. Now, with that general introduction, Mark, would you like to take over and make a comment or two? Well, I think the issue regarding the media is not just who controls it, but it's it's our, our expectation that men tell the truth. And I think our problem is a lot of people want to believe lies. And so the news that we get and the way that we get it is quite predictable and it's comfortable to a lot of people. And a lot of news organizations, because they have profit at the bottom line, TV network news, for instance, has to, they have to get a certain number of viewers to get the advertising dollars. It's a business. So like a TV show that orients itself to the least common denominator of its view, what will get the most viewers, they slant their news to what they think is acceptable to the greatest number of people. And they don't want to go out on a limb. They want, they don't want to be known for going to any too great of extremes. They may lean to the left because that's acceptable. But it's their, the, the truth is a variable. And ultimately, I think you have to look at our media today as, as a business. And a lot of times they, they only want to put forth what they think is acceptable and what will sell. Otto? Well, at one time, the press here had to be supported by its readers. And therefore, there was a limit on what they could say that would alienate the readers. And of course, we did, as Rush mentioned, we did have libel and slander laws at one time in this country. Those were removed by the Supreme Court of the United States, which ruled that if, if a person was a public celebrity, that he could not be libeled or slandered unless it was done with malice, deliberate malice. And malice is not photographable. It's not visible. It's an invisible emotion. And of course, you cannot prove the existence of an invisible emotion. So in effect, the libel and slander laws were removed and anyone in the public domain became subject to anything that anybody wanted to charge. Now, <clears throat> Rush is in the public domain because he's a published author and lecturer. I'm in the public domain. Practically anybody of any prominence at all could be said to be in the public domain and therefore we have no protection and we have no means of 
gaining any compensation for any injuries that the press may decide to inflict upon us. They may ascribe all kinds of things to us, anti-Semitism, Nazism, whatever, and there is no, no compensation. We are, very, we are the only large country in the world, the only progressive country in the world that has no libel and slander laws in effect. On the other hand, minorities can ap- apply to the courts for recompense if they can claim that they have been humiliated by the use of some uh, denigrative term, and the courts will entertain that. They simply will not entertain things from persons of prominence. So we have a very peculiar situation as far as freedom of the press is concerned. It sounds good, freedom of the press, but the press always needed some sort of social controls. That's point number one. Point number two is that, as you say, the press is a business, and it's a business that's supported by advertising. Now, I don't know why this particular point, which I've often made, is so difficult for people to accept. And that is that advertising is placed by advertising agents and agencies. And the agencies are on the left. And the agencies feed advertising money, which they obtain from business, to socialist outlets and no longer feed it to conservative outlets. Therefore, conservative outlets do not succeed, and socialist outlets succeed wonderfully because they get fed enormous advertising revenues or enormous advertising. And as long as they have a lot of advertising, they can put out their newspaper or their magazine at less than cost of production That's the reason you have so many cheap magazines on the racks. They may not seem cheap to you today because they range anywhere from 350 to 550 each, but we're talking about inflated dollars. And they actually are cheap in terms of the cost of their production. They are produced, they are sold, giveaways, premiums, prizes, please try this magazine for three months, this newspaper for three months, and so forth, free because the advertising rates are based on their circulation, and the circulation are based on the number of subscribers and the number of book street sales. So here you have a business that is funded by one segment of the political spectrum, and as a result you have a above ground, you might say, mainstream media, that represents one point of the political spectrum, the socialist, the socialist end of the political spectrum. And the other parts of the political spectrum are not adequately presented. And for that matter, the life of the United States as it actually is, is not honestly or adequately covered because a free press means that a press is free not to print as well as to print. And we are just discovering as a nation what that means. With the last national election,
the press decided halfway through the campaign, halfway through the primaries, to no longer cover conservative candidates in the primaries. Pat Robertson's coverage stopped with Illinois. He got one-third the Republican vote in Illinois. And from then on... Buchanan, you mean? Buchanan, yes. I'm sorry, Buchanan. From then on, the press did not cover his results in any of the further primaries. In California, he got one-third the Republican vote, Republican primary vote, and it wasn't even reported. The same thing was true of Jerry Brown. The same thing was true of Howie Phillips, was not reported from beginning to end. He wasn't even mentioned, and other candidates were totally blacked out. Since the election, since the election, we have seen the press sit on all sorts of facts about the president that are being printed now in England and in other countries, which are not being covered by the American press. Is some of his misdeeds of the past. He's talking about family values, uh, he is an expert on family values and how to break them. So we have here a very peculiar situation. We have a one-party press, which represents only the Democratic Party, which represents only a socialist viewpoint, which represents only a minority of the people, and which represents only a minority of our activities as a nation. And we have no laws of libel and slander so that they can libel Mr. Reagan with impunity. They can tell lies about even the recent past with impunity. And we have a large number of very wealthy conservative people who will not, as Rush points out, will not get off their duff enough to float a newspaper of their own or buy a network of their own or enter the arena on their own to give employment to honest journalists or to conservative people or to even express the viewpoints which they claim to believe in. We have an enormous Christian community which only talks to itself and that in whispers, doesn't enter the arena of the media. So we have an unusual problem because this is all voluntary. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been mandated. Well, we, <clears throat> we've had a recent uh, uh, indication of the uh, effect of advertising on uh, newspapers with the demise of the Sacramento Union after publishing continuously for something like a hundred years. Uh, they've just been starved to death. That's right. And uh, they dared to... Uh, publish a conservative viewpoint, a traditional point of view. That's right. And the advertising agencies cut them off. And even with the low circulation, they knocked out the state superintendent of public instruction. They were the only ones who printed his speculations, and all the other newspapers were silenced. That's right. Well, the underground press is be, seems to be uh, flowering uh, uh, with human events and conservative chronicles and uh, American Spectator and some of the others. Uh, there is an alternative press, plus there are a lot of newsletters. 
and that's been made possible by the personal computer and the word processor, which would have been uh, impossible, if not extremely difficult, uh, to do without it. Uh, in Russia, uh, where personal computers were uh, strictly guarded, uh, the alternative press is very difficult to maintain a, a, uh, an alternative press. Generally, they would have to smuggle out writing, get it printed outside the country, and then smuggle it back in. It's very difficult to get anything printed inside <coughs> Russia, but it, I think the underground press is what helped to, to uh, or contributed to the uh, downfall of communism, or at least the apparent downfall of communism. I think a very uh, telling illustration of the broader problem of the media is in what is going on in our state capital, Sacramento, at the present time. You're aware, of course, of the fact that an associate of Louis Farrakhan, the black Muslim leader, gave a talk which was barely reported by the press but it called for the extermination of all whites in South Africa and elsewhere. It was as vicious a diatribe as imaginable. At only one point did the media pick up on it in that he spoke viciously about Jews. At that point, they did condemn him and uh, were able to get uh, a certain amount of boycott by some leaders, black and white, of Farrakhan. However, the Sacramento Bee, uh, definitely not a conservative paper, very much to the left, had a cartoon in which it condemned what Farrakhan's associate had done. But in the course of that cartoon, they used a name for blacks that blacks hate. Now, they used it because, as the cartoon explained the illustration, it was racists rejoicing in what the black Muslims were doing and calling attention to the fact that here was racism being uh, voiced to the nth degree. Now, the black leaders in Sacramento said nothing about Farrakhan and his associate, but they are now mounting a major boycott of the Sacramento Bee. They are demanding that the editor responsible for the editorial page be fired. They are waging a major vendetta which says not much good for those black leaders in Sacramento. And I know there are a great many blacks in Sacramento who do not like it, who feel it's hypocritical to allow one word to be used to condemn the bee, whereas total hatred on the part of the black Muslims through Farrakhan's associate received no condemnation. Now, 
the bee is really being hard hit by this boycott and this hullabaloo. What this tells us is that there is a great deal of bullying going on in the United States. Its target can be anybody in high places and low. And we have become a people in which the bullies are on top. They can intimidate almost anyone. And nothing much is done about it. The bee is simply hoping that this will die down and they can go on as usual. I think they should come out swinging and go after these hypocrites. I think the black community will welcome seeing these evil leaders and pastors toppled. But they aren't doing it. A good deal of our problem, I believe, is in the community at large. Black and white in Sacramento, they're doing nothing about this. They're allowing the bullies to have their way. So, there is a singular lack of moral courage today on the ground level, on the high level, and in the media, as well as everywhere else. And I feel it is very serious. Well, the the people really is a fiction. Governments are groups, small group, who govern a large group. The minority governing the majority is the definition of a government. And the people as such is one of those floating words which people talk about, which you hear from speeches and whatnot, but it's not specific. The people is a crowd. Uh, the people are uh, fragmented. Uh, intellectuals generally can knit them together by rational, rational arguments, and leaders put them together. We recently had a congressman come up here to talk about crime. Congressman representing this area, Doolittle, very nice young man who's, who's made a good name for himself very quickly, very quickly in Congress. And what he did was first tell the people that crime exists and how bad it is, which was not news to anyone sitting there. And then he wanted to know what they thought should be done about crime. And at this point, the conversation, I understand, got a little bit raucous because they expected him as an elected leader to tell them what he thought could be done. He didn't, they didn't expect this young leader to come and ask them what to do, especially on a subject that's as widely covered and as familiar to all of us as crime. And we might say that although the community seems to be dormant, the community isn't dormant. Underneath the placid surface, there is an awful lot of building anger in the United States. Anger and disgust 
and anger and disgust at the press is one of our oldest emotions. In the first place, we have a press that argues that only bad news is news, and therefore all we get is bad news, day in and day out. Now, if your wife gave you a list of complaints every time you looked at her, you would eventually get another wife or kill the one you have. <laughs> and the same thing is true with the media. The media is nagging us to death in the name of change. And it's supporting a socialist movement in the United States that is only talking about change without the consent of the people and without telling us where this change is supposed to take us. And the thing that annoys me the most is that the media is supported by the money of industry and business. Businessmen provide the money for this satanic situation. And I personally have not been able to talk to a single businessman out of the hundreds that I know to get them to switch their advertising into more beneficial areas. Well, as in Sacramento, black and white, businessman and clergyman, they're all waiting for somebody else to speak out. And nobody is doing anything. Well, that's one of the frustrations that people have when they go on these uh, boycotting things like Kmart, you know, uh, uh, for selling pornography through Walden Books and so forth, is that the advertising is handled by agencies. So it creates an out for the business people because they can say, well, it's handled by an agency. We have no control over where they place the advertising. And the agencies are supposedly staffed by experts, and they are experts. They can certainly feed their friends and starve their enemies very expertly. Well, I think there's a radical lack of moral courage on all levels in this country. And we can uh, beat the press over the head because they certainly represent such a lack of moral courage, but uh, we have to start with ourselves and we have to start with the churches. At this point, I'd like to call attention to a very interesting and ugly fact. For some years now, there have been attacks on Calcedon and on me, not only here, but in Canada and Australia and England and elsewhere. The interesting thing to me is that this file that is building up so that any time they want to go after us, they reach into the file and get all the data. Where does this data, which is false, come from? It comes almost entirely from church sources church or Christian-related publications. It comes from publications like Christianity Today and a host of others like that. 
manufactured or twisted so that when we talk about the media we have to say one of the ugliest areas of the media today is the church media now this is nothing new shortly after World War II because the thinking of Cornelius Van Til was challenging the whole of the uh, religious community, the theological community, the seminaries and the Christian colleges. An attack was unleashed on him that was total venom, as though here was a wild man, irresponsible, uh, making fantastic charges. And it was all a manufactured thing. It was so bad that uh, he did develop a heart condition and was un under a doctor's care. It was totally venomous. And this has happened again and again in the church media. Now, to skip a beat there, uh, very quickly... Uh, to mention, and I'll go on with it a little later, the academic media, the academic publications are as malicious as can be towards any dissenter in the academic community so that as you go from sphere to sphere, you have people performing hatchet jobs on any man who has an independent voice. Routinely, in professional publications of one group or another, or of one academic or scientific group after another, the lives and reputations of very able men are destroyed so that the ugliest media anywhere today is the media that is academic, professional, or church-related. It's no holds barred. They know they're not going to be uh, taken to court. First of all, you can't win in court. And second, they know that not having any capital assets of any consequence, it wouldn't do any good to sue them so that they literally get away with the most flagrant kind of misrepresentation and abuse as is at all possible. It's very true, and it's part of a totalitarian tide. Yes. The essence of totalitarianism is an inability to endure dissent. Yes. Total power. Somebody says, said to me once, for what purpose? And I said, power is its own purpose. Mm -hmm. People achieve power in order to exercise power, not for any other reason. Power is all that's necessary. And this is true in a little group or a big group or a nation. We have a totalitarian-minded press. The Oklahoman, for instance, is never picked up, and it's one of the biggest papers in the middle America. 
None of the Loeb papers in uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, are ever quoted. Any dissent in the press is ignored or, if possible, put out of business. I was thinking when you mentioned people who attacked you and Chalcedon, I was thinking of First Things, that publication that's headed by Richard John Newhouse. Now, Mr. Newhouse is an interesting individual. He began as a Lutheran minister, apparently, in the ghetto, and he was very much on the left, and one of the best, most strident voices against the American participation in Vietnam. Now, the Vietnamese War, which is described by the press and such as Mr. Newhouse as immoral, was immoral because it was fighting communism. That's the only reason. After the tide began to change, Newhouse changed his position, and he became a sudden conservative. And he began to dump on his former colleagues in the anti-Vietnam War effort. As a conservative, he became friendly with Mr. Buckley and got up, became the religious editor of the National Review. He also was given a platform by the Rockford Institute, which put up the money and gave him an office and hired some people to help him put out a publication called Religion and Society. And from that podium, he attempted to exercise editorial control over the Rockford Institute's magazine, Chronicles. Chronicles, at one point, ran an issue against unlimited immigration. And Norman Potteritz of the commentary magazine said, they're talking about us. And Newhouse reported that the magazine, Chronicles, had put out an anti-Semitic issue. And they, of course, denied it. But he insisted that they either retract or give him editorial control in the future so that they wouldn't again offend. Newhouse also talked to Buckley and said that the Jewish community was upset on this question of immigration. So the next thing that happened was, of course, the Rockford Institute fired Newhouse, and Newhouse immediately went public with a charge of anti-Semitism, which cost Rockford a number of their biggest backers. Buckley, as usual, immediately joined in with the charge, and printed it without even contacting the people at Rockford to get their side of the case. Mr. Newhouse, in the meantime, attacked Calcedon. Not just once or twice, but a number of times. And then moved on, having fouled two or three nests in a row, and was embraced by the Catholic Church, which in due time will get indigestion, I'm sure. Now, this sort of individual is now numerous on the landscape. Mm -hmm. They take advantage of ethnic, religious, and personal disputes in order to build themselves positions. And he is now editor of a magazine which is well-funded, called First Things. It's a rather strange magazine, but that's all I'll say about it. He can print what he pleases. 
he's he's gone on out of targets. But as you say, Rush, there is no way that you can straighten the record. There is no way that you can hire a lawyer at anywhere between $150 and $300 an hour to go to a court which will not pay any attention to a conservative in the first place Mm -hmm. or to a white male in the second place. So we are caught in a position very similar, I think, to that of the Weimar Republic. I just got through reading uh, a book, a very large book, not, not from uh, <clears throat> Krakauer's book, uh, from something to Dr. Killigary's. You remember that book? But this is on the cinema in the 20s in Germany. Germany was divided between communists, social democrats, Nazis, and monarchists. And they had a press that was divided. At least they had a press for each one of these points. But three of the points, which a lot of people overlook, three of these groups were socialist. And only one was traditional and monarchist because the Nazis were socialists, and the social democrats were socialists, and the communists were socialists. So they, in effect, had a press that was dominated by socialist reviewers, socialist filmmakers, and socialist intellectuals. And to read the position that they propounded is very intriguing for a modern American. They were pro-abortion. They wanted to legalize homosexuality and lesbianism. They wanted to expand governmental programs to take care of all the poor. They wanted to equalize incomes. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. What was the result? The result of the socialist propaganda and the socialist votes, counting Hitler among the socialists, was the dictatorship of Adolf Hitler who all the time he was in office gave speeches against capitalism. Mm -hmm. And we have a press that you could put, it's almost like if we were to use the Weimar Republic press as a template and put it on top of our present press, we would find a perfect fit on all the positions that are now being propounded to us. Yes. We're called the Nazis. Yes. History does repeat itself. <coughs> Indeed it does. Many times. What we have increasingly is a neutered media, afraid to speak out boldly on any issue. I picked up one of the most conservative publications in the United States today. And it had a very well-known, prominent, and notorious homosexual as a featured writer. And this publication professes to advocate family values. And I think the reason for it, having done so to put this man on the staff, or at least use his material, is abysmal cowardice. They don't want to be attacked. So they have their house gay. (laughs) 
That's a good <laughs> phrase. Well, that I think is exactly the situation, and this is a highly regarded publication. There is scarcely a conservative publication that does not do that now. And it's cowardice. Look at the church media. When they are not losing their temper and wrath over something we're doing, and I don't see them attacking modernism with the same eagerness and heat. They are basically a namby-pamby press trying to put in as many harmless things uh, at uh, uh, First Church, Podunk, uh, party was held in honor of the 50th anniversary of Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And they'll fill the thing from cover to cover with that sort of thing. And when they publish something serious on the editorial page, it will be designed so to water down the faith in the name of defending it that their attitude is that if you do anything that is clear-cut and unequivocal for the faith, you're too harsh or you're judgmental or you are creating waves, you're creating trouble. And we believe we should be nice people and get along with everybody. Of course, everyone except you. Isn't this part of an attempt to redefine family values into whatever the press wants to, oh, yes. to define them? I think uh, homosexuals and lesbians are now a part of the family value uh, idea as far as some of our major media, especially some of our conservative media, uh, is concerned. They are certainly including people of this sort. And most people don't know who they are. Well, of course, when you only hear one point of view coming at you from the schools, from the universities, from professional societies and associations, from churches, from the films, because we might as well say that the press today has a graphic extension in terms of the film and television. And we have developed in the course of these technological innovations a passive audience. If you spend hours every day or every night sitting on your duff watching and listening without any particular recourse, and you have, of course, always the, the newspapers and magazines have always treated the audience as, as passive. We have a tremendous amount of passivity today compared to what we had when I was younger. We used to get up and go out and do things. And we either played ball or we went to the gym or we boxed or we danced or we got drunk or we did whatever. But at least we were doing something. And now I have the feeling that people are watching and listening, but they're not doing. And uh, this passivity, so to speak, has had an awful lot to do with the apparent docility. But if you drive along the freeway, all you have to do to get the other guy to shoot you is to cut him off a little bit too soon. And there's instant rage 
There's almost instant rage everywhere you look. Everybody's on a short string and a short temper. You can get run over in the supermarket by yes, the grocery cart now. And <laughs> therefore, my, my sense as a reporter is that things are not as good as they look. And that silence long protracted leads more to an explosion than to more silence. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is uh, a, a structured attempt to uh, uh, make people passive, or do you think it's the effect of trying to create a captive audience so that they can be sold? It's treating the audience as captive, but that's overlooking the lesson of the Weimar Republic. The lesson of the 30s was that rising unemployment plus great promises of security and government will take care of you led to and, and all the social programs led to the dictators, not simply Adolf, but Mussolini, Stalin, and the rest. Now, we're spreading images of violence all over the world in our movies, and our press is feared and hated by every country in the world because it goes in and upsets all political things. It reports some people up and other people down in socialist terms. It interferes with other countries. We never get anything about any country except their scandals and their disgraces. We don't know anything really about events outside our country. We don't know that they're having strikes in France or why. We know once in a while you get a little piece and then the curtain drops. We're spreading the message of authoritarianism and terror around the world. We are exporting uh, a large number of films by the hundreds every year and these are totally pornographic films. They are films that cannot be shown anywhere in the United States. They're so bad. But the world is buying them, and it represents the United States to the world. It is having a major corrupting influence on every continent. Well, you know that we make two versions of every film. Uh, even our regular films, yes. when they go overseas, the women are topless. Mm -hmm. We have two versions. We don't print the, the warning about cigarettes on cigarettes we sell overseas. We, we import a different quality, uh, a worse quality of things than ever. We have aroused the disgust and hatred of all the elite everywhere in the world with our movies. They're the worst things that's ever been done to the United States, and they're done by people that our press praises. Holes aloft, as very creative individuals. Now, when Germany exported socialism, picked it up from Italy, but it went farther, much farther than Italy because the Germans <coughs> are more energetic and better organized, more systematic. All Central Europe, including France, fell for the fascist and Nazi propaganda. I mean, that's the reason why France didn't fight against Germany. It wanted the same thing that the Germans had. No more unemployment, just tell us what to do, and so forth and so on. 
it, England after the war became socialist, and there is no socialism without compulsion. And the press of the United States is insisting that we pick up the methods of the 30s, the methods of the Soviet, and carry them on. This is what we're really the reason that I suggested this topic was because I considered what is happening to us via the press. Now, I put out a, a, a newsletter of my own, the Compass, a very small group subscribed to it. Uh, you were mentioning newsletters, a, a version of our Samas dot. Uh, I, I received a few complaints when I started because I asked for $50 a year and they thought that was too much. That's what is that? Five dollars a week? Not even not even five dollars a week. It's it's uh, fifty dollars in fifty weeks. It's a dollar a week. Uh, so we have a, not only a passive audience but a non-reading audience and a non-thinking audience. And those who can read and ha- can think, as Rush says, are too involved in f- placing themselves. This was the downfall of the conservative movement. They sold out for a few jobs in in Washington. You mentioned uh, complaints about the price of the compass. What people do not realize is that when they buy a newspaper or a magazine, most of the cost is picked up by the advertiser. Exactly. The advertisers are subsidizing the publication so that you can get it for $25 a year or $30, something like that, in order to give the advertiser an opportunity to sell his goods to you. So that your subscription price to these publications covers only a small part of it. So that... Uh, they don't realize the actual cost of publications. Now, uh, the Chalcedon Report, of course, costs far more than most, precisely because we maintain a large staff, we carry on charitable work in a number of continents, so that they are paying not only for a publication, but they are paying for men to think and write and for men to think and act. But uh, people assume that uh, it must cost only a few cents per copy. Well, it's in a good cause, therefore it's it's free. Yes. Uh, It supports itself like angel dust. Yes. But the cost of publications today is very high. The hopeful note is that in spite of this fact, a growing number of newsletters and independent periodicals have arisen in recent years. When the Calcedon Report began publication, we were alone. It was a new idea. Nobody thought it would work. Now, whether it's political, economic, religious, or in some instances, literary, you have a vast number of periodicals which are reaching people with a totally different perspective. I'm going to add something else, and this is 
developed in our own circle of readers. They have begun, in some instances, family newsletters regularly, reporting all the news in the family, which sometimes can number a hundred people from coast to coast, as brothers and sisters, cousins and all, migrate from one area to another so that you now are having these people being drawn together, plus you are having editorial comment of a very blunt and forthright sort in some of these family newsletters. It's a marvelous development, and I'd like to encourage anyone and everyone that this is something that should be done. It... uh, is an opportunity to bring the family together, to communicate something of the past of the family by going into where they came from, what the family has done since they've been in this country, the kind of thing that is presently going on, what some of the young people are studying. It's a marvelous thing. Uh, Those who send me these I find uh, very, very interesting, especially as in some instances they trace the history of the name. That in itself sometimes unearths a very interesting uh, bit of history. So uh, I think remarkable things are taking place at the grassroots level. Well, you know that Robert Conquest, a few years ago, put together a series of essays called Tyrants and Typewriters, which he'd written through the years about the various writers, and he described them as sitting down with a sheet of paper and five carbon sheets, Hmm. writing something for the Samizdat. And this, some of these writers... He feels that it was the writers that brought down the Soviet, culminating in, in Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. And all of the items in the archipelago, by the way, had to be sent, written and sent to Solzhenitsyn for him to put it together. And it, you see, the Soviets had destroyed the clergy. They destroyed the church. They didn't kill all the believers. That wasn't possible. But they did destroy the churches. And they did destroy the clergy. And in if they locked up the intellectuals, and most of them remained locked up. But a handful of writers smuggling their manuscripts outside the country drew the odium of the world down upon them and exposed enough of what was going on to bring that terrible system to its knees. I have heard from some of these people, and I don't even uh, remember their names now, except for one, that uh, simply sending these family newsletters out uh, every month, every quarter, has done some remarkable things in bringing some of the young men and women who've gone astray back into the family fold because uh, 
and in one instance, uh, one instance, an older person, uh, in his sixties or seventies, I believe. What has happened is that by describing the life of the family, the past of the family, the faith of the family, these people have suddenly realized the wealth they have abandoned. And it has created stirrings in them of a sudden loneliness they had not felt for their roots, for their the faith they were brought up in. And the results have been dramatic. So I'd like to encourage everyone here to get busy with a typewriter or a computer, Xerox the copies, and start sending them out to your family. You may not get much of a response for a while, but in time, and encourage them to make contributions. Wonderful things will happen. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christ. Rules. dot com.